We're going to get in the Word tonight. Grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 21. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 21. I thought it would be good if I preached a message that I believe will be transforming and, and, and literally a stepping stone to healing tonight. Matthew chapter 18. And while you're looking that up, um, I regret to inform you, t-shirts are just about gone. Um, I don't know what y'all did. Somebody ate some. And so what we're going to do is if you would like a t-shirt, there are Jesus t-shirts back there. Um, we can order you a shirt and we will have it shipped here before next Sunday um, to the church. You can pick up your shirt next week, Sunday. Okay. They will be here in time. And so if you want to order it, go back there and prepay. Trust in none of y'all. Um, <laughs> we will ship all of your shirts right here to the church. Um, we've also got plenty of our DVD available that I believe will bless you. And um, our book is actually running out. And we can order you that as well and ship that here as well. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. If you're ready, say preach. This is going to be so good. Watch this. Then Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said, Seven times? I, know, I do not say unto these seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one servant was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Somebody say ten thousand. In today's money, that'd be about four hundred and ninety million dollars. Mm -hmm. But when he had nothing with which to repay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wives and his children, that's jacked up, and that payment be made. But that servant who fell on his knees and said, oh, master, please have patience with me and I will pay you all. His master was moved with compassion. He, he released the man and then he forgave the debt. Everybody say he forgave it. That's a big deal. The man didn't say, I don't have no money. I will never have the money. He said, give me time and I'll pay it back. And his master still had patience and, and, and compassion and forgave him the debt. That's a big deal. That same servant went and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a few dollars. And he took that man by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me, sucker. Again, that's not in the Bible. That's in the ghetto translation. But when he did that, his same servant had nothing which repay. He said, please have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he did not. Instead, he had the man thrown into prison until he should pay all that was owed. When his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they ran and told their master all that had been done. And their master commanded that they bring that servant before him. And this is what the master said. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. And he commanded that that man be thrown into prison and to be tortured until he should pay all that was due to him. The final verse of this chapter, I believe, is the most powerful verse. I believe it's 35. The most powerful verse, I believe, in the entire New Testament for a young man like me at 16 years old, the first time I read it right. This is what Scripture says. And so, my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you from your heart do not forgive your brother or your sister their trespasses. Father, I pray this morning or this evening in the time that we have that you do something supernatural. You would give us the ability to live as godly men and women, to live with the power of God inside of us. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. 
Amen. You know, I can't preach this story of the Bible without telling my version of the story. See, what had happened was, when I was growing up, I had an addiction in my life. I was about seven when I discovered the addiction, okay? I was addicted to fire. Does anybody here like fire? Raise your hand. Any kids here like fire? I liked fire. I like looking at fire. I like watching fire. I could just stare at it all day, right? I liked the way it smelled. I liked the way it tasted. I liked the way it felt. I liked everything about fire. It's awesome. And one day, I was playing in a parking lot next to my house. We called it The Field. It was a gravel parking lot with fences all the way around it. And there was a sign on the fence that said, no trespassing. Did we pay attention to that sign? Y'all know we were bad. We did not pay attention to the sign. And we'd go in that field and play and do all kinds of things, kickball, stickball, all kinds of stuff. And one day, my friend Damon pulled out of his pocket black cat firecrackers. Oh, hallelujah. Mm, that was better than Mattel or anything. He had, you know, y'all know what black cat firecrackers are, right? There's a hierarchy of firecrackers. There's the cheap ones, there's the mid-grade ones, and there's the expensive ones, which are black cat, all right? If you get the cheap ones and you light them, they almost never pop. You be like, pop, pop, that's it, cheap. If you buy the mid-grade ones, they have only one word on the label. Everything else is in a Chinese or Japanese language. You read it, it's like, pow, that's all it says. You like those, they, they, they pop, but they're kind of mad at you, like, like you did something wrong, you know? It's like, pop, 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 your mama, pop, that's it. But if you get black cat firecrackers, man, those things, they pop with authority. Okay, so you like those ones, you're like, Everybody clap your hands. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Those things are amazing. So we took these firecrackers, and man, we were lighting them. Light one. Pop. Right, light two. Light two. Pop, pop. Then we had an idea. We could do even more. And... He reached in his other pocket, and Damon pulled out bottle rockets. Oh, that was the Shekinah. You light a bottle rocket, it's a firecracker that flies. You light it, it goes, pop. <laughs> do two, do two. You know you did two. Pop, pop. It was great. But we weren't satisfied. So we got a PVC pipe and some duct tape, that's a gift from God. And we wrapped up the remaining fireworks and made a long fuse out of that brick from the firecrackers and we stuck it in the pipe. <laughs> and we lit it. Whoosh! This is awesome. Pop, 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 pop. It was great. It was the greatest thing we've ever seen in our life. The whole sky was on fire. And then it hit the ground.
Hey, Damon, go check it, man. He's like, I'm not going to go check it. You go check it. I'm like, I am not going over there. Go check it, man. He's like, let's do this. Okay. Dog. I start walking towards it. And I look back at him. I go, damn it. He's like, what? I'm scared. He goes, don't let that thing know you're scared. It knows fear. It will get you. What am I supposed to do? He goes, be a man. I don't want to be a man. I'm a Toys R Us kid. He goes, you're just scared. I go, I'm not scared. I'm scared. He goes, you're a sissy. I ain't no sissy, man. He goes, then why are you whispering? Because I don't want it to hear me. I got close to the fireworks. I mean, I literally walked over there, and I was tiptoeing, and I reached out towards the big ball of fire that was laying on the ground, and a couple of the bottle rockets kicked in. It started skittering across the ground like a, like a, a, a fireworks snake, and it was heading towards my legs, and I was like screaming like, ah! and it hit a rock. It started flipping through the air, and it was heading towards my face, my face, and I'm doing and it went right into a garbage dumpster. I'm saved, right? Now, everything was fine till the dumpster got hot. Then the dumpster got hotter. Then the dumpster got hottest, and then the lid melted. Because we put the lid over, we're like, yeah, we'll cover this thing up. But we didn't look at the sign that said no trespassing. At the bottom of the sign, it said no trespassing, and it said... Sherman Williams. <laughs> yeah. That dumpster was full of paint samples that immediately took off, and it was unbelievable. The chemical fire blaze that lit off that dumpster was awesome. Now, children, look at me. Look at your, look at your chocolate uncle right now. Look at me. I love you. I want you to have a long life. Therefore, I will tell you this from my, the bottom of my heart. Do not start fires. Okay? Let me tell you why. Because if you do, your mom and dad will do what my mom did. My mom delivered me from pyromania. She used a belt. I didn't even know you could do that. She had gifts. I was like, I love fire. She's like, whoosh, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, at one point I was not telling the truth all the time. Kids, tell the truth. My mama delivered me from being a, a, a liar, a compulsive liar. I was like, I'm a lie, I'm a lie, I'm a lie. Whoosh, I tell the truth. It was amazing. She had gifts. <laughs> the fire got big though. And I was enjoying the fire. It was great. But then I noticed something. My friend was missing. See, he was smart. When the fire started, my boy Damon was gone. He ran to the fence. He was so skinny, he went right through the chain link. Sha, sha, sha. I, I was like, oh, snap, I better run too. So I run towards the fence, and I start to climb the fence, but I was kind of fat, and the fence was coming down, but I was not going up. You know what I'm talking about? So I dug under the fence to get to my house. 
By the time I got to my house, the, the, the park was the house over, you could see the fire from my back porch. It was awesome. I ran in the kitchen, I'm like, mama, there's a fire in the field, mama, there's a fire in the field. She's like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. She goes, Alan, call the fire department. I said, sweet. I mean, I've called the fire department a million times, but never with permission, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, 911, what's your emergency? Y'all need to come quick. There's a fire in the field. By the way, could you bring one of them white and black dogs? Those are really cool. Bye. It took them 40 minutes to find us because I didn't tell them the address. By the time they got there, <laughs> the dumpster was spitting out paintballs, like <laughs> popping and spewing, and the gravel was on fire. And I was so dumb, I went out to watch. So the fire trucks show up. I'm, this is spiritual, you'll see. The fire trucks show up. I'm turning the stage on, make me look good. I know I'm dark. Y'all can't even see it, brother, if it's not lit up. So give me some light. So the fire trucks out there, I'm standing out there looking at the fire, happy as a mug. But then Miss Gentry, my evil neighbor came over. Miss Gentry was the neighborhood gossip. That woman told on me on anything I did. I couldn't stand Miss Gentry. She got me more whoopings than my report card. And, and, and she had this ugly dog. I hated her dog. She had this ugly little fake. It was not even a real basset hound. It was like a fake basset hound. It was like an ugly ooh hound. I didn't like that thing. It had no teeth and it had rabies and scabies and it would bark like this. Roll, roll. And it would try to bite you. I hated that dog. And she came out, and my mama was out there, and I'm looking at the fire, and, 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 and I got to tell you something. Um, this, is, this is real important. If you ever do a crime, don't go back. Like, I ran over that stop sign. Don't go back and go, look what I did. Don't do that, okay? Because what happens is the police, the firemen, they're very adept at seeing who created the, the problem because everybody else at the scene has a look on their, on their face of horror. But the person who, who birthed the problem has a look of completion. Okay, it's kind of like, this is spiritual, you'll see. It's kind of like if you have a family member who gives birth to an ugly baby. Don't look at me like that. Babies be ugly when they first come out. Look like aliens. People are like, all babies are beautiful. No, they're not. <laughs> and you go to see the baby and the mama, and, and, and the baby scares people, it's so unattractive. And so you walk in, you're like, ah! And the, the husband's in the corner praying in the spirit, oh Jesus, please transform E.T. into a child. And you walk in and you're looking at, and the mom does not care, right? Because mom sees the, not only the baby as it is, mama sees the baby as it will be. Mama has vision, and she's looking at the baby like, oh, you're the best, I love you. And the baby's like, <laughs> you know. That's what it's like when you commit a crime and you go back to the scene. Everybody else is looking at the fire like, oh my goodness, this fire is terrible. The fire is like, I will eat your soul. I am fire, you know? And everybody's like, no, no, not fire. Help me, firemen, save us. I'm over there like this.
<laughs> Ms. Ms. Gentry walks over to my mother, and my mother goes, does anybody know how this happened? Ms. Gentry goes, well, I don't know exactly, but I saw your boy and that cross boy over in that field playing with some fireworks. She said, I know it wasn't no spontaneous combustible. I said, it's combustion, woman, combustion. When I woke up, My mama was spanking me. Now, some of y'all from the city, you like, you should not spank your children. Little bad kids like me, spank them. It worked, okay? My mama would put me on the bed and she was like five foot six. So my mama couldn't reach me with the belt. It was great. So she had this miniature trampoline. Remember that? We called it the ghetto treadmill. It was real small, little trampoline. Let's get physical. Remember that? So my mama would jump on, this is spiritual. She'd jump on the trampoline so she could reach me on the bed. So she's like, I told you not to go in the field. I'm on the bed like this. Ow, 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 ow. Mama, jump on it, jump on it, jump on <laughs> That part's not true. Um, <laughs> that was my day of deliverance. I told you spiritual. Laughter does good like medicine. I learned a valuable lesson that day. If I would have just paid attention to the sign, everything would have been fine. If I just paid attention to the sign, everything would have been fine. And what I've learned is this. A lot of us have a sign that we walk around. I'm not talking about some comedians talking about this is your sign. I'm talking about a spiritual sign that some of us walk around with that's similar to the sign on that fence. A sign that tells other people, stay back, keep out, no trespassing. Simon Peter's talking to Jesus, and Simon says, Master, how often shall a brother or sister sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, and we all, and I don't know about you, but in my family, we used to clown Simon Peter. We'd be like, oh, Simon Peter, you're not very spiritual. Cuckoo, you know, you only want to forgive people seven times, Peter. <laughs> you are not as spiritual as I. But think about culturally what Peter was saying. What Simon was saying is this. He said, listen, in Hebrew culture, if somebody sins against you three times the same way, you have the right to never talk to them again and to excommunicate them out of your community. So when he said seven, he was going way beyond double the extra mile, right? In our culture, we don't even give you three. We say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We won't even let you go two times. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. We're like, I'm Cajun, son. I'm going to turn one cheek and two cheeks. You ain't getting these cheeks. I'll bust a cap. That's how we roll. So when Simon said seven, that was huge, huge. Jesus blows Simon and us out of the water, doesn't he? He says, no, 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 son. 490, 490 times, he says, forgive them. But Jesus uses words Simon Peter doesn't use. And this is what messes me up. Simon Peter said this, Lord, when people mess with me and they sin against me, that word he uses, parapipto, 
shall I forgive him seven times? Parapipto means this, a side slip, a lapse, a deviation, an unintentional error, a mistake. You're walking down the hallway, somebody trips you by accident. Oh, hey, the next day it happens again. Oh, I got big feet, you know? Just a mistake, right? That, it's when somebody does you wrong. How many of you have ever been done wrong before? People didn't really mean it, they just did you wrong, yeah. Jesus says, yes, that, but 490, and the word Jesus uses is forgive your neighbor their trespasses. That word is a derivative, it's the root word of the derivative parapipto, it's paraptoma. Medical professionals know a toma is bigger, right? It, he said paraptoma, that means a side slip, a lapse, a deviation, but it goes like this, a willful transgression. To fall, to fault, to offend, to sin against, to apostatize. All the way up to what we would call the unpardonable sin. Jesus says, forgive them, 490. So if sin in this story is a parapipto, if that is doing, being done wrong, then what Jesus says is, forgive them 490 when they plan to hurt you, when they scheme to bring you down. What we say today is when you get done dirty. That means somebody tried. They met what they were doing. How many of you here understand what it means to be done dirty? Yeah. How many of you read the Bible when you were younger and went, I ain't got no enemies, and here you are. You went, I don't even know how I got enemies. I didn't wake up one day and go, I would love me an enemy. Jesus says 490, and here's where the story gets bad. We're turning the corner. Jesus says, if you don't forgive them 490 times, not only will my heavenly father not forgive you, because we don't even care about that in all reality. We read that as, as humans and we go, I got all the time in the world. I don't feel like forgiving you right now. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. <laughs> we don't even think about eternity in that. But Jesus is so smart. He goes, okay, eternity, you're not gonna be forgiven. That's true. But let me help you today. He says this, and so my heavenly father will throw you into prison to be tortured until you forgive prison we talking angola here oh no son i ain't going to prison i'm way too cute to go to prison they will eat me like a chocolate cupcake up in there i know i look tough on the outside i know i look like will smith but i'm really a lot more like carlton okay i grew up in the suburbs my parents was home. My mama got a master's degree. My daddy got two master's degrees. I got a doctorate. I come from a very educated, middle-class family. I don't even know what people talk about. Tell me about your story from the ghetto. I ain't never been to ghetto, dog. <laughs> There's all kind of black people, just like there are all kind of white people. And I'm the kind that get eat like a cupcake in Angola. <laughs> but I've been to prison. Not prison, real prison. I'm talking about spiritual prison. I've been there. I know what it's like to have someone do me wrong, and then God go, you need to forgive. And I'm like, no! People that do me wrong don't deserve to be forgiven. I want them to burn in hell. <laughs> That's just fun to say. Just, you never get to say that anymore. Burn in hell! But that's what we want. We want the worst for the people that hurt us. And that's not what God wants for us to do. That's not Christian living. But it's the reality of our emotion, isn't it? I was in prison. I didn't even notice I was in prison. I didn't even know. My prison bars were invisible. But an aroma brought it to light. I met my wife. Oh, man. 
Girl, 1995. Walked into her church, and there she was. Just a walking down the street, singing, do what did. And when I was um, courting my now wife, um, I learned a valuable lesson. I traveled with a great evangelist named Dave Reaver for almost four years, Rich Wilkerson for seven years. And, and during the time serving Rich Wilkerson, I would land on Thursdays almost every week from four-day revivals, and I would drive immediately from the airport to go see my, my, my future wife. And we were, at that point, just starting to really get serious. And so I knew that in order to really date her right, you have to go to her house. You got to go every time you meet your lady. If you really care about her and you're trying to date and you're ready to get married, because I don't believe in dating before you're ready to get married. Relationships are not a playground. They're a planning center. When you're mature enough to to date is when you meet someone and you got a checklist of questions. That's when I know you're ready to date. And so we, I would drive all the way, like 40 minutes from the airport to her house in, in northern Seattle. And we were in Tacoma, Washington back then. And, and man, it was like the best to go to her parents' house because they'd invite me in for dinner. And that means I don't have to pay for no meals. <laughs> I was making 90 bucks a week, y'all. <laughs> I was broke. I told them we were rich. That's how she married me. <laughs> and, uh, and one time I, I landed in, in SeaTac and I started to drive to see her. And I stopped at the mall in South Center, Seattle. And when I left that mall, when I went in the mall, everything was fine. When I came out of that mall, it was like everything was wrong. And I couldn't put my finger on why I was upset. I made my car driving angry. You ever driven angry and didn't know why? I'm driving angry, honking horns at people. And if you know the people of the Pacific Northwest, they so soft. You honk your horn on them, they're like, ah, the black man's honking at us, pull over. They thought I was like a hilltop crip out in that mug. And so I'm driving, I get to her parents' house, and this is important, I slam my car door. Now, understand something. I grew up in a house that was all Jesus all the time. There wasn't no slamming doors in my house. My mom and dad were like, don't you be slamming nothing. Don't even slam your dresser drawer. My dad be like, I put them drawers in your drawers. You ain't slamming nothing. I own everything. Y'all say that here? Everything? Yeah. So I slammed my car door, and that's what woke me up, snapped me right out of it. I went, Hold up. I'm a happy person. Why am I so upset? I get back in the car. Didn't even go in the house. And I go, I got to fix this before I go in there. I can't go in there like this. Why am I so angry? I retraced my steps from the airport to the mall. And I remembered. While I was in the mall, I walked through a store called the Bon Marche. And I smelled it. And once I smelled it, everything changed the rest of the day. What did I smell? Perfume. Perfume from a woman when my daddy was a pastor in Grand Rapids, Michigan. A woman who wore a lot of perfume. And one time when I was just a little kid playing with my matchbox cars in a stairwell, she was at the top of the stairwell at the second level. And she was talking to another woman about my dad. She didn't know I was there. The thing she said about my dad broke my heart. My daddy was my first pastor. My daddy was my greatest hero. My daddy is the King Kong of my universe. I love my daddy like nobody's business. And he had integrity like nobody's business. 
she was complaining about his leadership, complaining about his preaching, complaining about everything she could think of. And I'm just six, seven years old, but I know what's going on. I know what she's saying is completely unfair. And I've got my little matchbox in my hand, and I'm squeezing that car, and it's indenting my hand, and I didn't care. My anger was real. Because at seven years old, I knew that when my daddy was in the Air Force, we had it all. And when he decided to pastor this little small church in Michigan, we went into poverty level. I remember asking God at Christmas for cereal. I went from having everything to praying for cereal, and I got cereal for Christmas and a, and a couple of toys. I remember everything was hand-me-downs, hand-me-downs from the thrift store for a while because we wanted to serve people that didn't have. Here she was complaining. When if you ask my family, no one in my family ever complains about what we have. It wounded me so deep. Here I am. 16 years later. Angry. Angry. And I'm in my car and I'm angry because I smelled perfume that reminded me of pain. And some of you are here, you're like, Alan, that's nothing, dude. You don't even know what I've been through. No, 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 you don't understand. It's not about what I endured. It's about the trigger, the mechanism that reminded me that I was in prison. Well, what prison were you in, Alan? I was in a prison where I couldn't smell anything I wanted to smell without it reminding me of my pain and causing me to throw up a sign that says, no trespassing, keep out. You remind me of everything that happened that went wrong in my life. I can't do this anymore. Stay away from me. Get back. Why is that a problem? Because that's what prison is. Prison is not to keep bad people in, y'all. Prison is to keep good people out. And if we don't forgive, we'll stay in prison and the world will hurt some of you say well Alan my prison's worse I, I know it probably is maybe you can't hear certain songs on the radio it puts you right back in prison maybe you can't go to certain places in your town it, it takes you right back to prison maybe you didn't go back to your high school reunion because the halls of that school remind you of your pain and you go back to a prison in your head and you can't forgive them you can't let it go it hurts too much you can't surrender it it's holding you back Maybe you've been hurt by black people. Maybe you've been hurt by white people. Maybe you've been hurt by CNN or Fox News. The worst part about being hurt by people who don't even know they hurt you is they can't even say they're sorry because they don't know they did it. That's why I stopped watching the news five years ago. I've been way happier. Because I can't get healed from what other people dump on me. And you hear a song on the radio and the sign goes up. You smell cologne, you're laying in your bed, the door opens, and fear goes through your body. Someone needs to come through that door, and your sign goes up. 48 hours, you can't even sit still, you're nervous, you're shaking, because it reminds you of your pain. I know men, full-grown men, that still weep when they think about tryouts and their name not being on that list for making the team. And what happens is that reminder locks us into a prison, a prison of our own device where we say, keep out, no trespassing. 
stay away. The disciples went through it too. In John chapter 19, the same exact thing happens. I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 19. The same thing happens. The, the Bible says this, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and walked through the wall into the disciples and said, hey, peace be with you. Wow. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, he said to them, this is how you know Jesus was back. Peace I bring unto you. As the Father sent me, he said, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive anyone their sins, their sins are not forgiven. I remember reading that and going, Oh my goodness, I have the power to forgive sins. That's not what Jesus was really saying. Here's what Jesus was saying. First of all, he did something really cool. He breathed on all of them. People always think it's all metaphors. He went, oh, on their face. That's awesome. That's my kind of Jesus. He just didn't care. But you see what he was doing? See, he did that same breath when you were born. <sighs> Ruach. And now he said, I'm going to do it again. Because you were born once, but now you can be born again. So he breathed on them a victorious, resurrected Christ's breath. Breathed on them. And then he said, if you forgive anyone their sins, their sins will be forgiven. He reminds them to operate in peace. What does that even mean? It means this. He's saying to them, listen, if you forgive the people that murdered me, and you forgive the people that are going to hurt you and have hurt you, you'll go out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the world will be turned upside down. But if you don't forgive them and you stay locked up in a room, they were in prison. They, Jesus had resurrected and they knew it. But they were so frustrated and so afraid of the Jews hurting them that they locked themselves in a room hiding from the world. Jesus said, you got to get out of here. If you stay in here, the world goes to hell. But if you forgive them, not only for what they've done, but what for you know they're going to do. I don't know about you, but I know somebody in here going to hurt me before I leave. I know it. It's probably you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you ever go somewhere and just know something's going to happen? Jesus said, if you forgive them for what you know is going to happen, the world will be changed. What does that even mean? means this, if I forgive you, every time I think about the things that you might remind me of in my past, that you might remind me of my situation, that means the sign never goes up, and you're welcome. And I'm going to share the love of God with you. But if all of us have our sign, it's certain things that trigger us, and we put the sign up, all the people that trigger you will go to hell. And I've come to figure out this, that the people that trigger me, I'm called to. I'm called to crazy people. Because I'm crazy. You ever notice how crazy people don't always want to hang out with crazy people? They don't want anybody out crazying them. I'm called to people that may hurt me. I'm called to people that may mistreat me. I'm called to people that may dog me out. But I'm still called. What God showed me was this, and I'm, I'm just about done. Come on up here, worship. Where am I? Hey, what's up? I was about to call John Cougar on you. Because you know he can play that guitar. What I learned, and I'm going to go over here to the door, guys, okay? I know you have tech to worry about. What God showed me is this. I know it's dark over here. Bear with me. 
God showed me that Jesus is the door. Right? He said, I am the door. If any man knocks, watch a kid come answer it. He says, I will open the door. I smell coffee. And I will show you great and mighty things. Tomorrow night, we get to find and discover the great and mighty things. The great and mighty things is salvation, but then the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. Okay? I will show them great and mighty things inside that door of relationship with Jesus. But what I discovered my job and your job is, is to get people to the door. That my job is to get them there. And here's the deal. There's people that will only hear it from you. And most of the time, those are the people that offend you and hurt you the most. Listen, man. Racism has destroyed me emotionally. I've been beat up, verbally mistreated, pulled over, put on the concrete. But if I lived in that pain, I would never fulfill my call. I'm not called to black people only. I'm not called to Latinos. Gloria de Dios. I love my Latin church. I'm not called only to Asians, although we served Hong Kong for seven years or six years as missionaries. I'm called to everybody. And how many people would miss the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has gifted me to act a fool to preach it if I took my hurt and let a sign go up what would happen if every woman that wore tresemme in her hair offended you so much that you couldn't share Jesus how many people would go to hell see what God showed me is that Jesus is the door but my job is to be the mat and I'm supposed to lay my body down in front of the door and say, you know what, y'all? No trespassing is gone. That sign is gone. My sign is, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You might step on me. You might beat me. You might mistreat me. It's okay. Jesus will wash me and he'll heal me and he'll restore me. My job is to get you to that door. Because when I get you to that door, baby, everything's going to be all right. When I get you to that door, your life will never be the same. When I let you step towards me to get to him, I'm doing my job. My job is to get dogged out. My job is to get laughed at. My job is to get mistreated. You may think your job is to have a perfect life. My job is to give you a perfect life. And to let life happen, I've got to take down the sign. Make myself vulnerable. You know who brought healing to me when I was hurt? Big old tall skinny white boy named Jeff Grinnell. Came up to me in youth group and goes, Alan, I sure love you. I was angry. Just had a friend get hurt, mistreated by a cop. 13 years old kid got beat up. And I yelled at him. You don't know me, man. Friend in junior high. Just got dogged out, beat up. You don't know anything about me. How are you saying you love me? He just smiled and laughed at me. Doesn't other people's signs seem silly? He goes, let me give you the top 10 reasons why I love Alan Griffin. 
And he started to prophesy into my life and tell me things about me that I'd only talk to God about. And I was afraid to even tell my friends about things that I wanted to do and be in my life. He spoke life into me. And if it wasn't for that handsome, tall, Michigan State basketball plan, hate Michigan State. <laughs> Told you I got sports issues. Doggone Tampa Bay. May they get toe fungus. I need to forgive, don't I? Not today, devil. <laughs> I'm not going to heaven for this one. I know I'm not. It's bad. If it wasn't for that handsome, tall, Caucasian brother, I wouldn't be here. He took the sign down. And I took mine down. Oh, this message isn't about prejudice. This message is about forgiveness. I realized that day that forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then realizing the prisoner is you. And if you have people you that have hurt you, that have mistreated you, your victory is right underneath your nose, baby. It's in your mouth. You just need to forgive. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult because you know what's going to happen again. Man, I've had much more hurt since the time when I was a child. But I got a gift now. I have a prescription for pain that Jesus gave me. I can share it with you tonight. But you have to be willing. And healing is going to flow in here. You're not going to know what to do with how quickly it happens. It's going to happen fast. Everybody say quick. It's going to take me longer to describe what God's going to do than for God to do it. Some of you are going to get healed so quick, you're going to be shocked and be like, uh-uh, no way. What, are you kidding me? Because God is all about mercy and forgiveness. And when you and I operate in mercy and forgiveness, the blessings of his miracles flow in abundance. They flow like this. I promise you today is your day. But let's get this thing right, right now. With your eyes closed, you don't even have to bow your head. Just close your eyes. Maybe you're here right now and you're thinking, Alan, I've been hurt. I've been mistreated. I've had people dog me out, diss me, play me. I've had people trick me. I've had people deceive me. I've been done dirty. I've had people go all the way to planning to hurt me. And you know what, Alan? It's really hard. I don't even want to forgive them. Maybe you're here and you're like, I keep getting done wrong over and over again. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in business. Maybe somebody's stealing and operating on your contract and did you wrong. Legally, they twisted things to get a hold of what they wanted from you. And you're here and you're going, man, how can I forgive them? How can I forgive them? I know they meant to do it. I prayed at the beginning of this message that you and I would operate in the power of the divine. We know that what separates us from the animals is the ability for us to forgive. No animal in this world can forgive, but you and I can because we were handcrafted by God. And in a moment, God's going to give you the strength and the power to do it. All you have to do right now is acknowledge it. I need to forgive something. I need to forgive somebody. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand up. And as soon as you put it up, you can put it right back down. You're just saying, Alan, I, there's people I need to forgive. There's a situation I need to forgive. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Throw your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. I said things you need to forgive too because sometimes it feels like institutions do things to us. Like you put your mama in the hospital and she don't come home. You 
mad and you don't even know who. Sometimes we get mad at God. God's not mad that you're mad at him. He's big. He can handle it. In a moment, I'm going to give you a prescription. When you take it, it's going to work really quickly. But you have to be willing. So say this with me. I'm willing if God gives me strength. All he wants is your obedience, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three. I love to keep things in order and structure. So when I count to three, here's what we're going to do. She's going to sing when I count to three. And you're going to talk to God right where you are. You don't have to get up. You don't have to run around. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count to three. And you're going to open your mouth and talk to God out loud. You don't have to yell, but you can, and you can whisper. But out loud, talk to God. Why? The Bible says every single person who prayed throughout biblical history prayed out loud. They didn't make God read their mind. Because when you speak, the Bible says, confession is made unto righteousness. In other words, faith is trusting God with your lyrics. Talking to him out loud is faith and trust. All right? So let's put our trust in him who is trustworthy. When I count to three, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your mouth. I want you to talk to God out loud. And I want you to tell him exactly what happened. Tell him who hurt you. Tell him what happened. I'm going to give you three straight minutes to talk to God. You say, well, that's a long time. Trust me, it's not. You'll, you, you'll, a lot of you will have a continuing conversation with him when this is over, but I want you to start that conversation now. You'll have three minutes. Tell him everything. Name names. God, it was David and Daryl and, and, and Samantha, and, and, and they turned on me. I was outside just talking to them, and all of a sudden they turned on me. Tell him everything. Ready? Three minutes. I want you to whisper. Talk to him. One, two, three. Go right now. Go ahead. 